we spent some time talking about student-led and student-centered, but it really just meant what we want them to do, and they have a little bit more say into it. The fact that I now have these tools that allows me to, to change the form of my learning, it starts to really change the function of what it is that I need to learn. A lot of education systems run the risk of being BlackBerry, Kodak, Blockbuster. And I think the next 36 to 48 months is when we're going to see that happen at a really fast pace. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Today's guest is Dwayne Matthews. He is a chief innovation evangelist and a future of education strategist. He helps school boards, educators, and parents understand new and evolving themes in the 21st century, the future of work, and how to help prepare children to thrive in a rapidly evolving digital information-driven world. He has experience as a teacher, board member, a speaker, a whole host of accomplishments and accolades and experiences that I'm sure you'll see come out uh, throughout this conversation. Dwayne is the first guest to appear on the podcast twice, and I was really interested in getting his views and experiences and insights on the metaverse. I've written a couple of blogs on coconut-thinking.design on the metaverse, the future of the metaverse, and particularly how it will redefine our relationships with ourselves, with our learning, with others, and also with nature, perhaps opening up possibilities to connect on a global scale instantaneously, while at the same time allowing us physically to get more in touch with the local, the bio-collective that is in our immediate area. If you want to find out a little bit more about this, about this fuzzy horizon that I discuss in these blogs, please check out www.coconut-thinking.design and Intrepid Ed News on intrepidednews.com where they were picked up. Very interested in, in, again, looking at the metaverse, not as something that we understand, but something that we can imagine, the different possibilities there. I know many people are seeing the metaverse as a potentially dystopian future. That could be. Uh, perhaps we need to think about how we now um, take ownership of the metaverse in the commons rather than in uh, the capitalist uh, profit-driven um, construct that is um, uh, the world of some of the technology companies today. In any case, what is wonderful about this conversation is that Duane brings in some experience in working with the proto-metaverse and, and how things can um, come together, particularly in ways that meet student interests, curiosities, uh, and uh, are able to still stay in line with the uh, curriculum um, from his experiences with his son and with the community that he's built around the projects that he's done. Duane provides a lot of insights into how to take technology into the classroom into the learning community. And you don't have to be a tech expert in order to bring some of these strategies and implementations inside your learning experiences, inside those of your learners' learning experiences. Anyways, I will leave space right now for my conversation with Dwayne Matthews. Well, hi, Dwayne. Uh, really excited to have you uh, on the show. You are the first guest that we have had uh, twice. And uh, it just goes to show how multifaceted you are. Uh, how much of an influence you, you've had uh, in, in getting my thinking to move, uh, following your LinkedIn and the articles and uh, the videos that you post. So I'm very excited about this. And uh, we're going to um, pick up a conversation that we had before and, and our interactions in the meantime, and maybe focus a little bit on the metaverse. But I think that um, there's going to be a, a greater systemic conversation that, that we're going to have. So I'll ask you, uh, who are you? What are your passions? And how do you try to make a difference? Sure, Benjamin. Uh, thank you very much. And I, I don't know if you go by Ben or Benjamin, and maybe it's just Benjamin to your mother. But um, 
thanks a bunch for having me on and uh, thank you for your kind words. I, I, I appreciate them. I know that um, oftentimes uh, the world can seem pretty unkind. And so anytime someone is kind, I, I really do appreciate it. So uh, thank you. Um, so who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm Dwayne Matthews. Once upon a time, I taught grades three, four, five, six, a little bit of library. Um, I, I started a company um, a while ago uh, after I left education in technology transfer. I exited that company. Um, and then I got back into another startup, which failed miserably, which uh, left me to a place where I, I really had to reflect on what are the things that I think that are most important um, that I'm very passionate about. And it was the convergence of fourth industrial revolution technologies and education. And I realized that a lot of our institutions happen in silos. And this convergence point was, was going to have a profound shift. And so I, I sort of dove into that um, and spend most of my waking days and a lot of my sleeping time as well, um, thinking and reflecting on that and, and thinking about what some of the possibilities are and how do we build a bridge um, to get to that future and how do we build a bridge to co-create the kind of desired outcomes that we wish to see. And this will play largely into this idea of the metaverse and what this co-creation means and what the different futures we might have. Um, I'll ask you before we get into that a uh, question that we ask everyone. And, and, uh, and as I mentioned, uh, I'll be very interested to see how, how it differs maybe from, your, from the answer you, you gave last year. Um, how do you define learning? So that, that's a great question. And, and as I mentioned to you before, I go, I, you know, oftentimes if you ask me what I said 10 minutes ago, I may not remember. So um, um, you know, it's, it's, I definitely wouldn't remember what I said to you last year, but I, I think as I've been thinking about learning, one of the things that I really think about is, is basically encoding information um, and then taking that information and encoding other pieces of information. And once we have those two groups of information, finding uh, convergence between them to create new things. So I, I think a big part for me for, for learning is really looking for patterns that we find in the universe. And then how do we use those patterns to come to the desired outcomes that we would like to, to see? And those desired outcomes could be things that are very practical, um, things that are very creative. Um, it could just be, you know, the opportunity to observe beauty in a way that we were not able to see before. But for me, it, it really is about making those connections and using those connections to see new things and to uncover new ideas. So I don't know how far, how close that was, but um, I guess I'll go back and listen. So, so far you've, you've talked about bridges, making connections, identifying patterns, and also uh, desired outcomes. Um, I, I think this is a great segue into, into this idea of, of technology and how we can get those desired outcomes to the futures. I, I want to pause really quickly because you brought up the fourth industrial revolution. Could you, could you define what that is? Could you explain what that is? Uh, some of our listeners may or may not be uh, as familiar with the fourth industrial revolution. Sure, sure. So if we, if we think about industrial revolutions in the past, we, you know, we can think about the initial industrial revolution, the electrical industrial revolution, um, computing. And you know the, the fourth industrial revolution really is a convergence of a number of different technologies. Um, those technologies have certain properties to them, but 
I, I would say initially without getting too far into it, because it, you know we, we don't want to make this about that itself, but without getting too far into it, when they converge and the speed at which they converge, they create an opportunity for us to change um, the economy of life. So the Industrial Revolution at the very beginning changed the economy of life. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution provides the opportunity to change the economy of life. Um, and not just, um, you know, a Facebook page or something like that, but, but change it fundamentally. So we're looking at a paradigm shift um, because of this convergence. And so if we can use, if we can use school as an example, a smaller example of a paradigm shift, um, once upon a time, school was just one teacher having an oral conversation with a number of students. And somewhere about 200 years ago, the Prussian model was, was revealed. We used, um, you know, 600 year old technology in the printed book. We eventually brought in technology from 1662, the pencil, technology from 1888, the pen, um, and eventually 1801. And we converged all of those and transformed the fundamental economy of everybody being in agriculture to everybody being in some form of industrial um, type ende endeavor. So now we know, you know, somewhere between two and 4% of the population is in agriculture and the rest of the population um, is in some sort of industrial um, mode of, of navigating through the economy of life. And so the convergence of the technologies themselves usually have this sort of paradigm shifting potential. Um, and once that happens, then things change fundamentally. What's different about this particular um, industrial revolution is speed. So the speed of it is significantly faster than it's been in the past. To give an example of that, um, I mean, wh what are we, we're, we're 15 years into an iPhone. Um, and, you know, I, I challenge most people to think of life before smartphones. Um, the fact that we even call them phones and we never actually use them as a phone, uh, it lets us know a little bit about how fast that's happening, right? Like we really have these extensive computers. Um, I think, uh, you know, my phone has 11 billion transistors on a single chip and I'm reasonably underwhelmed by that. And I should be a lot more amazed that somebody has figured out how to put 11 billion things on a single chip and then make millions and millions of them. Um, that, that, that is actually quite staggering. So that's just a, hopefully I, I, I answered the question with, without getting um, too esoteric or, or, or too technical. And one of the things that, that is on the horizon right now, things that are in, in the news, and yet we don't really know what it is, is this idea of the metaverse. And this conversation really was prompted by um, uh, your experience already in, in a proto-metaverse, I would say. Um, one thing about, about the strangeness of the metaverse is that it, the only thing that we have to hook onto really is, is, is real Ready Player One, uh, the book, the movie, and, and this kind of imagination that we have based on something that, that was written and, and filmed years ago. Um, I, I, I'm not really too worried about that in the sense that I, I think it's okay to let our imaginations go and what that might look like, because we might look at 20, 30, 50 years. Um, 
in your experience, what has so far been built for the metaverse? Is it even real yet? Is it still at proto stage? What has your experience been? What are your thoughts on, on the metaverse and, and also maybe starting with, with defining that? Sure. And so I think, you know, a, a lot of it is marketing, which is, which is cool. Um, but I think what becomes interesting is it becomes interesting for us to fill space um, in between us. So, you know, if you're standing in a room, um, there's blank space as far as you can sense um, all the way to the next object, right? So there's blank space between you and the chair or you and the table as far as you can sense. Now, we know that not to be true, um, but that's what we perceive, right? So, you know, obviously there are Wi-Fi signals and all kinds of interesting things. There's all kinds of light that, that's moving through there that, that we're not able to perceive, but that's sort of, you know, what we've had. And the ability to start to put things, objects in between those spaces and the ability to then transport those objects and things into and out of a virtual world is what I see coming next, um, whether we end up calling it the metaverse or not. Um, when I was teaching in Peru in 2003, there was this cool idea, it was called an airport. And you know, all the computers would connect to the airport. Well, we, we no longer called it an airport. Um, it, it's now called Wi-Fi. And you know, how we interact with Wi-Fi is a bit different than what was imagined then. And I, I suspect that the metaverse um, will have the, the same sort of, of um, reality to it. I, I think what'll happen at the very beginning, um, which is, is pretty typical of what often happens is people will substitute. So, you know, if, if I see online, people are saying, you know, hey, I think I saw one the other day with a big box store, I won't call them my name, but they essentially recreated their store in virtual reality with a, a person um, or an image of a person sort of walking you through the aisles to go do your grocery shopping. And their idea was you'd be able to pick these things out and that you would see a hand putting them in the cart and then it would order it up. And, you know, this big box store thought that was pretty cool. And I said, yeah, no, that, that looks like a slower version of my click and collect or my Amazon that I already use. Um, and so, you know, it's a shiny box. It, it looks kind of nice, but the functionality of it is not really there in terms of augmenting me or in any way, modifying my day in any way, um, or transforming what I do. And so I think what we'll see at the very beginning with things like the, the, the metaverse is really just a stitching together of virtual reality um, and the creation of different spaces in that virtual reality. Um, I think a lot of it will go anywhere between um, the recreation of what the real world looks like and second life. And uh, I, I think as we go through that, you know, we, we're going to start to see opportunities in that um, where essentially it'll, it'll be a shiny box. Everybody will be like, wow, that's really cool. And then eventually once it loses that cool factor, um, people will say, okay, well, what, what can we really do here? 
And we're going to start having creative minds that come and bring forth creative ideas that are based on things that we'd like to accomplish versus the things that we use um, to try and accomplish those things, right? So really a, a, the idea of form and function and switching the form to increase and transform the function. I wonder if that substitution piece might nevertheless be beneficial in the sense that uh, if, if it might reduce, I mean, okay, beyond the fact that data centers are, are tremendously um, uh, destructive to the environment and, and so forth. So I, I'm putting that to the side and assuming that one day we'll be able to fix that, uh, which is very naive and of course simplistic. But, but if we can think about the substitution of travel, the substitution of, of not getting in the car, I wonder if that will go far into reducing our overall carbon footprint. Again, with you know the the, the idea that somehow we'll, we'll sort out the data center side. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, we're, we're on Zoom now. You're in Toronto. I'm in Thailand. Is it possible that this might get us away from from the need to travel? That that it might reduce this 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 the carbon footprint that we have. Again, that's a very small piece. But are the possibilities going forward um, one that might also work with with uh, with with some of the the actions that we have. Yeah, no, I I I don't know that I think that 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 would be true. And and the reason, and I, I don't know for sure, but the reason why I wouldn't think that would be true is um, think of a CD in a concert, right? Um, you know, a CD, the sound quality of a CD, significantly better than the sound quality in a concert. Um, you know, if, if you were to go on a streaming service like Tidal, right, that has like high fidelity sound, um, that's going to sound even better than a CD. If we were to take really expensive, um, you know, noise cancellation headphones, that's going to sound even better on Tidal to see that concert. But if your favorite artist showed up, you're going to the concert. Um, and not only will you go to the concert, but you will pay a premium to hear not as good sound quality, right? So you, you might stream for five bucks a month, but you might pay 200 bucks to go see the artist, depending on the value that, that artist delivers. So I don't know that that's going to be our, our path out of, of, uh, of, of our, our carbon, you know, sort of dig it up and burn it. I think we we actually are going to have to go through it um, for a carbon. I, I think we're we're going to have to go to a place where, and, and we start seeing it with kids, where it starts to be underwhelming. Um, so we can see it now, and it, it, it uh, as a parent, I know it's disturbing to me that you know my son will shoulder shrug at you know an iPhone, right? Oh, it's just this model; it's not that model, right? Like he. He, he, he starts to be underwhelmed very quickly. Um, and I think a lot of parents that can, that can afford have really sort of pushed and pushed, you know, as many experiences and as many things towards their kids. Um, and some people will look at that and say, yeah, I think it's a bad thing, but I actually think it might actually turn out to be a good thing because the kids will get to the end of it sooner. Um, this sensation that I have when I was growing up that, you know, I battle all the time, you know, I, I think to myself, I'd, I'd like to give my kids the things that I didn't have. And I, I have a, 
an existential battle where I think, well, no, no, Dwayne, you, you want to give them experiences that you didn't have. Well, no, you want to give them lessons that you didn't have. Um, you know, my son's actually going to know the answer to that. Like I, I'm, I'm reaching because I didn't have stuff when I was growing up. Right. And so as I have more stuff, I'm thinking, well, maybe I want more stuff. And when I switch from stuff and I think, well, you know, I'm a I'm a more evolved person then I think, well, maybe I want more experiences. Maybe I want to travel. Um, you know, it, it'll be a long time before I got to a place where I'm thinking, you know, I don't really need to travel. Right. Because I, I recognize that the sensation that I have is actually originating from the inside of my head. Um, and I have a little bit of influence over that. So maybe I actually don't have to go anywhere or get a whole bunch of things to have those sensations. Maybe I can just figure out how to activate those sensations without the external um, stimulus. Um, and I hope that our, our children will have an opportunity to actually do that in a real sense, not striving for a, a, you know, some sort of existential position, but actually knowing it thinking, no, I've, I've actually traveled a bunch of places and, um, you know, I'm over it. And so now I'm, I'm really sort of thinking about, you know, um, inward self-actualization because I've, I've gotten to the end of that, right? So the, the challenge with that is, you know, because of how clever we are at marketing to ourselves, we can look at iterations of things or designs of things, but I, I think we're going to get to a place where, where that starts to happen. And, and what are some of the clues? Some of the clues that I have is, um, you know, here in North America, um, when I was 16, the only thing that everybody I knew that wanted at 16 was a car. And uh, now entry-level cars aren't selling at all. Um, you know, Ford, I don't even think Ford makes entry-level cars in Canada anymore. Um, and so I, I don't even think people are buying that many sedans, to be honest, right? And so you can kind of see that this desire is kind of falling off. Um, and I, I think that trend is going to continue. And I, I think it's going to be scary because we're, we're, we're going to be very close. Um, but I think we're going to start seeing that in emerging worlds. And we may see some form of leapfrog where... Um, Sorry, we're going to start seeing that in, in, in developed countries, and I think we're going to see some form of leapfrog in emerging worlds um, where value is created, not necessarily through things per se, um, but you know, just through concepts of value, and, and in, it's going to be internal. And so it, that's probably me being naively optimistic, um, but that's the path. I don't, I don't see us... Um, I don't see us being able to, to restrict ourselves to safety. Um, you know, I, 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 all 8 billion people, I don't know that we're going to be able to do that in lockstep. At the same time, when, when you talk about the fourth industrial revolution and how industrial revolutions change the socioeconomic uh, structures, the relationships within that and, and the metaverse being part of that fourth industrial revolution, th there has to be the climate and our and our relationship towards uh, extraction of, of resources, whatever it might, that might be. So, so it is an industrial revolution because it changes those relationships with each other and and with ourselves. So, is there an opportunity then? Not necessarily. Uh, we're not talking determinism, but an opportunity to use. Uh, the fourth industrial revolution in order to get through the climate crisis because that's the wall that we're going to hit. 
I'll couple that with the tension of the future technologies with the tension of going back to 2,500 years ago, because what you're talking about, this coming from the inside, goes back to Buddhism, it goes back even farther to Hinduism. It's it's the yogi. Uh, it's it's this uh, of coming back. So th that that is a tremendous existential crisis, uh, 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 not just personal, but but um, uh, from a human point of view, from an interspecies point of view of technology can give us opportunities, but we're still back 2,500 years ago of trying to find that inner inner strength and energy uh, to, to have those relationships. Yeah, no, I, and so, so I think, I mean, and I, I loved, I loved the fact that you pull those two things together. I, I do think that what we want or the jobs that we're trying to get done don't change that much. Um, you know, they don't change that much. Let me, let's use the example that I use with the car and, and uh, teenagers. So when I was 16, I, I wanted to get a car. And so why do I want to get a car? Well, I want to get a car because I want to drive to go see my friends and, you know, not my really close friends, but lots of friends, right? So my, my job is to get out and make and maintain sort of the shallow connections or the shallow bonds um, that give me a, a sense of self-validation, give me a sense of relationship and that sort of stuff. Well, along comes social media, right? Let's call it social media 1.0 before it turned into this, you know, this sort of weird animal, but it allowed us to connect and it allowed kids to connect. And all of a sudden, as a teenager, you could be connected to like 400 people with shallow relationships. So the job that I was trying to get done, right? Trying to be, you know, the kid is trying to connect with um, the, the pretty girl who then turned into my girlfriend who happens to be my wife. Um, you know, students today, they have an opportunity to leverage the technology to do that. So the desire for the car goes down because they don't need to go anywhere because you, you couldn't drive to that many people if you wanted to. So the mobile device becomes way more efficient at the job that they're trying to get done. Now, there are fundamental challenges with all technologies along the way. And if we do not sort of rein that into a strategy and execution type plan, we run into real problems. And so we're seeing that today when we think about, um, you know, social media platforms and kids, right? Like we, we, we actually had no plan for it. We didn't even realize that it was coming and our kids kind of introduced it to us. And, um, you know, and so th then it ran amok. The people that brought it, they were also quite young and most of those folks weren't parents. So they weren't really considering how it would impact kids either. Um, you know, and so, so there are risks, but the job to be done um, remains. So the connection that you made, which I think is great connection about, you know, 2,500 years in technology, um, I think the job remains the same. I think the technology just augments us and gives us the opportunity to do those jobs faster. Think of it in terms of a horse to a car to, uh, you know, well, a horse to many horses to a car. We, we still speak in horsepower, right? Um, when we think about cars, because we're, we're thinking about many horses, 
right? And, and what are we doing? Well, we're trying to get from point A to point B. And before we did that, we walked a lot. Um, but, you know, there's still the idea of getting from one place to the next, making connections. Um, those kinds of things don't change uh, because our brains just don't change that quickly. And so I think the job to, to be done will remain the same. Um, I think the, the fourth industrial revolution will allow us to do those jobs more efficiently. And hopefully, hopefully that we can reconnect with what the actual job to be done is. And so I, I think that's probably the hardest part. If you went out and grabbed a hundred people and say, what do you want? Um, most people will struggle to answer that question. This idea of augmentation. So let's talk about social media. The fact that you and I uh, are talking from 12 time zones away, it, literally the other side of the earth. Um, the fact that uh, kids can do that at any point. They, they you know, put in some Google Translate in there and you can talk to, to anyone uh, about anything that, that you have a common interest in. Um, I'm thinking about the old school model where you put kids in a room with one person in front and, and that's pretty much all there is. You're, you're boxed in, um, um, in into a room. How do does technology put us and those ability to connect, how will it put a strain on the existing school system given the fact that if a kid not just go on YouTube to find out, but really can go learn and teach and, and have that process from anyone at any time, anywhere in the world, how is that going to put a strain on the education system? I I mean, you know, I, I've been following some of your posts and I think you're you're quite wise to realize that it's coming to the end of of its life cycle um, because we're as educators we've we've lived our lives and everything about our history tells us that education travels in one direction right so we have a sage and the sage is at the front and we've we've made some minor adjustments to that. Right, so the sage might put the kids in groups. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's two sages in the room, um, but at the end of the day, it's somewhere between, you know, five to forty kids in a box inside of a bigger box. Um, and you know, maybe the box is it's kind of fancy. Maybe it, it has no walls on the side, and you can see outside, and you can see the trees, or, or maybe it's a really sophisticated box that has been designed by an amazing designer and it's beautiful and it's inspiring but nevertheless it's a box i think what starts to happen is we start to see the information traveling um, in different directions we start to see the mode of engagement um, being self-directed so we spent some time talking about student-led and student-centered but it really just meant what we want them to do um, and they have a little bit more say into it but you know you mentioned youtube right um i spent the last couple of days interviewing medical students and doctors that were just starting out and i asked them how did you do it right because you, you have to remember a massive amount of information and i cannot think of anywhere in post-secondary education where grades matter more, right? Like it's is a 95 and up and you're a doctor, 95 and down and you're not, 
it doesn't really matter about your community service. It doesn't really matter about, you know, what kind of person you are, like the marks matter the most. And I said, how did you do it? And I was really shocked that a lot of the, the younger medical students learned through an asynchronous model or what I call a, an asynchronous student success or student supported model. And they would look at videos that were broken into bite sizes. They would use research and textbooks as a, as a backup resource. And then they would go to the human that had, um, you know, sort of experience. So they would use a gamut and that was really driving what they said was the actual marks going up. And I thought that's really interesting because when I look at my daughter, who's four, that's exactly how she learns. And I didn't teach her that. She's decided that the tools that she has, that's how she's going to engage them. And if I look at my son, who's 12, he does the same thing. So, you know, when we start having a conversation about online or we start having a conversation about metaverse, um, we're, we're talking about us being at the front, us as in the educators and the teachers. Um, and sometimes we're missing the plot because we're not seeing the kids are actually telling us what works. Um, and that's a really difficult conversation for us to have, right? Like I looked at my four-year-old daughter explain something on with an Apple pencil and an iPad to my mother. And I thought to myself, when I was four, there was absolutely nothing that I had to explain to my mother that would have been a fundamentally important that she did not know already. Um, you know, not any major, you know, maybe something esoteric, but not any major piece of technology that actual adults use to produce work. Would I have been able to say, here, come, let me show you this because you haven't seen this before. I, to my knowledge, I don't think that's ever happened in history. And so the fact that we start to have that, um, that may be a change in the form onto itself, right? Like when I went into the, the metaverse experience that we had, we went out to say, hey, we, we want to create a project and this project needs to be connected to the curriculum. Um, so what do you guys want to do? He says, well, let's do space. Okay, well, let's, let's actually go pull the curriculum up and let's see what's in here and what can we negotiate that's going to make sense. And so eventually the students got us to say, well, you know, let's do space, let's do Mars. Um, oh, look on YouTube, um, the Mars rover. This is before the, the Mars rover was, was about to land. And the Mars rover is supposed to land on, on Mars. And so maybe we can make some updates to the rovers. And, um, you know, off we went. And people sort of sit back and they're like, Dwayne, you know, this is great what you did with the kids and the metaverse. And, but I'm like, no, that was, that was the 10 year olds that pull the whole thing together. I, I put a couple of framework pieces in there and a couple of, you know, project management sort of techniques and sort of made sure that there was rails. But at the end of the day, um, they went in and did something that was a lot more spectacular than I had in mind. And it's very humbling. 
and, and maybe you could speak a little bit about that process. So, so working with the kids on 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 a project that that related to the curriculum, focusing on Mars. What does it look like? What was the process? How did those decisions get made? How does a student come in and and, and actually drive it? What happened? So the, the the first thing that I did um, this so this was during the beginning of COVID, right? So the beginning of COVID, um, we realized look, it's a it's a kind of a precarious situation. Uh, you know, they were saying like, we're going to have schools open and we're going to roll the dice and see what happens with the kids. And so I, I said, Damn, well, that's that's great. I, I'm, I'm not going to run that experiment with my son. I'm, I'll wait till other people do it with 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 their students and their kids, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, so my son and I decided that we were going to start up tomorrow in our learning lab. And so we, we came up with the idea of tomorrow in our learning lab, which was based on some notes that I had um, many, many years ago in 2003 about this idea that I had about how we could do school. And so I pulled out those notes and he said, okay, you know, we sat back and we went and we rented a space um, and we, we got furniture for the space and, you know, it was literally just him and I. And so we were going through this and it was great fun. And then he said, you know, I'd like to connect with some other kids. And I said, fair enough. And so, um, so we decided that we'd get a VR headset and we got the VR headset and we said, you know what, let's put together a project where you can meet on a platform with kids in different spaces. Since we can't get together in person, um, we can do that. And so we said, okay, well, let's do that. So we went and we found a, a particular platform. Um, big shout out to the folks at Spatial. Um, we really liked that one because it, it, it didn't make me feel motion sick. Um, and so, so we used that platform and then we, we started to say, well, we need to create a project. And so what would that project look like? So I said, well, the first thing we have to do is we actually have to go into the curriculum because I want to go back to, to your school and say, well, we've done something. Um, and let's take a shot at what we're doing, what I had in my notes. So we said, okay, so we literally went through the curriculum with, uh, with a, a, a highlighter. And I said, what do you want to do? And, and my assumption, um, or I shouldn't say my assumption, my premise was if I were teaching um, you know, probably the big dirty secret is you'd never get through everything in the curriculum anyway, nobody. So if at least not here in Ontario, it's a, it's pretty robust um, and it would be very, very difficult to do. So I said, well, we would pick and choose some key things. So we would pick the big ideas and we would pick the big ideas that would be able to give us certain types of learning skills. And then we'd leverage the content to basically teach those learning skills and how to navigate through those big ideas. So that was the, that was the assumption or, or the premise. And so he went through and he picked, it was grade six, I think is broken into maybe four different major big ideas and he, he picked space. And um, then we said, okay, well, let's connect with some of the other students. And so we connected with other students and said, hey, do you, do you wanna do something on space using uh, this cool platform? People were like, yeah, we wanna do that. Like, okay, and I was eventually able to connect with a few other educators that had little pods on their own. And uh, some folks went out and bought headsets. And then what we did was we took a, a framework for um, design thinking. And we said, let's, let's use this framework to build a, an actual lesson plan. And, you know, we're gonna come up with questions as to what each section of the framework meant. And then you're going to fill those out on your own. So it took us probably about maybe three, four weeks for them to actually go through and sort of make sense of this. 
um, and build it together. And in the meantime, we said, well, you're, you're going to have to find information on, on this piece of space. So where would we find that? Everybody's like YouTube. So we dove into YouTube and spent hours on YouTube. Um, we spent time putting this together. And then we said, you know what? We're having a really difficult time managing all the parts. So, um, you know, we, we went, we got project management software that was free and started to manage the project like a team in different places. And, and the kids started doing this uh, on their own. And, you know, we, we established some protocols as to what the end of the week would look like and, um, and, and how to use almost like YouTube-like vlogs to record what did I do today, what am I doing tomorrow, and to hold ourselves accountable. Um, and once we start to do that, it, it starts to form on their own, and the kids start to get very creative and start to say, okay, but the, the creativity was inside of the different levels of frameworks that we established. And so once we did that, then they went into the platform, they started to pull in different experiences in the platform, start to realize that they could go watch a movie together, right? They could all go sit down at a place and watch a movie like a big drive-in because you could make the screens really big. Um, you know, you could be in different places around the world. Not, um, they weren't super interested in recreation of reality, right? They weren't super interested in, you know, visiting Dubai and all these kinds of things. They were a much more um, interested in, in having these sort of unique spaces and doing things together. So they would be able to sit down together, watch a movie together. They would play with some of the objects together. Um, one point, I think kids were playing hide and seek in there. Um, I mean, just sort of, you know, doing kid things. But what started to come out of it was, okay, well, let's go use a PlayStation. Let's use this particular um, piece of software. So they went and found free things and they created these uh, these these Mars rovers inside of this video game that's called, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the game now. But um, anyways, it was a game that allows you to create vehicles and that sort of stuff. And it responds similar to how it would in the real world. Um, and, you know, they had a gallery of these. Um, they created those and they had very specific ways that they had to report on what they've done. Um, and so then we put the project down. And once we put the project down, like in a portfolio, we, we let it sit for a couple of months. And as this lockdown was coming, my son said, hey, I'd like to pick this up again. And it all of a sudden morphed into, I could turn my vehicle into an NFT. And it was like, okay, well, what's an NFT? And he didn't really know. And so, so out came another project, but we used the same format to create this new project. And then we went out and found all the different tools. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the other piece. And so what we talked about was how do you create value? And so I said, well, if you start putting this together, I'm going to put this into some of my keynotes. And when I get paid to do a keynote, a percentage of the keynote is going to be to you because you've created content that I'm creating value from. And so he was like, well, that beats working at a fast food place. And, um, and so that's sort of where we are now. So that's a, that's a long, a pretty long story, but I know that 
there were a few people that wanted me very specifically to tell that story. So I wanted to make sure that I did that. But in that is, you know, a series of mental frameworks that we, we had to put together. Um, and we really wanted to highlight a few things. And here are the few things that we want to highlight. Um, learning how to learn. Learning how to study what you've learned. Learning how to perform and share what you've learned. And then learning how to create value, right, with the first three things, right? So how do you create the value at the end? And once we had that framework, then we thought, now you can go out and look for the tools, but don't look for the tools first, right? Um, you know, we don't master the hammer first. We, we kind of pull our tools together. We, we learn to use our tools, but we really think about the house that we want to build, right? Um, and so once we think about the house that we want to build, then we think about what do we need? Do I need hammer? Do I need tools? Do I need you know, some subcontractors, do I need a design? And I go pull all those things together. I synthesize them um, with a certain amount of discipline and I can create this house. And so that's really what we wanted them to, to see that technology is a tool um, and in a way it's a commodity and the actual premium is them, right? So people get worried about, you know, all these things are gonna take over from us. I go, no, the premium is us. Right, we're, we're, we're still the premium to date. Um, that hasn't changed yet. The question that I imagine some people have is, and connecting to the fact that you brought it from the curriculum in order for it to have um, resonance, or maybe say, this is what we did during this time of lockdown. How is that accepted on the other side? The people who might be more focused on accountability, on quantitative measures, on, on wondering, well, how do you, you know, determine their ability to learn how to learn. How, how is it received uh, in, in those conversations? So I, I think um, a lot of people want to get there, but they're afraid to go um, because perhaps maybe what they know, maybe mental inertia. You know, it, it's to me, it's almost like somebody coming and saying, "Hey, I'd like to get into great shape." And you say, okay, um, you know, here is a protocol of things that you can do that'll get you there. People say, well, thanks. And then they just don't do it. Um, <laughs> and I, so I think there's some of that, but I also think that there is a massive amount of people, a groundswell of people that understand fundamentally that the traditional form is not efficient and not as effective as it once was. And I think that's because the technology has changed, right? When we went to school, we had books. There's a limited number of books that I can carry in my bag, right? Maybe 10 max. So everything else I have to remember. Right, so the, the the computer that I travel with, this was the only one that I had was my was my, the one in my head. Today, probably every single book that was ever written would probably fit on my phone, um, plus all the music, right? Uh, plus all the journals, and I'd probably still have space, plus a couple thousand videos of me staring at a leaf, right? So, 
the fact that I now have these tools that allows me to, to change the form of my learning, it starts to really change the function of what it is that I need to learn. Um, so do I have to remember things? Yes, I do have to remember things. And as a matter of fact, leveraging those devices, um, you know, fourth industrial revolution technology, I could probably learn and remember significantly better um, than I could in the past if I'm intentional about it. And so I think people struggle with the form changing the function because the substitution of technology allows us to get comfortable with it. It's sort of like um, an example that I can think of. I don't know if it's a, the best example, but it's the example that I can think of is, you know, as a teacher, if you're teaching younger kids and you, you put something in a box and you put it like in the middle of the room and you tell kids there's a surprise in that box and everybody's super excited about what's in there. Eventually you open the box and maybe it's 10 grams or something and they pull it out and there's all kinds of play happening with the 10 grams. You know, a couple of days in, those 10 grams start to lose their shiny, shiny objectness. And now it just comes down to, okay, what do we need to use these for? Like, what are we trying to get done? And I think where we are, um, a lot of places in education is we're coming to the end of the shiny box cycle, the substitution cycle. And, and we can feel that where people are underwhelmed with, you know, digital technology. Oh, you know, these Zoom calls, like everybody's underwhelmed with the fact that we've accelerated into Star Trek in a little under two years. The fact that we've put millions and millions and millions of people, um, you know, if, if COVID-19 happened in 1994, right? We would be in a lot of trouble, like a lot of trouble. I mean, a lot of trouble, right? In 1994, if we had COVID-19, um, you know, there would be millions and millions of people that we, we would be in a lot of chaos. We would not have been able to maintain school. We would have not been able to maintain work. I mean, but we're almost underwhelmed with disability. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of bugs us a lot of times, right? So I think that's because we're to a place, and I think that's good, by the way. I think it's really good. We're to a place where we're like, what do I actually need to do what it is that I'm trying to do? And I think as we enter that conversation, I think in the next 24 to 48 months, we're going to find a change. Now, some people have said to me, Dwayne, you're way too young. To, to know I've been around forever and nothing's going to change. And I said, I go, why would you say that? They go, well, because I've been around in this time and nothing has changed. But I think what's different is the gates have been democratized. And once the gates get democratized, you're going to start seeing the changes. The last holdout for gates being democratized, I would say, is university. And we are witnessing the revolution of post-secondary education at a very fast pace. Um, you know, if you go to Google's page, IBM's page, um, and Coursera, um, if you go to 
a couple of the professors. There's a professor here in Toronto, Dr. Stephen Jordans. There's, uh, I forget the guy in New York. Um, it's really popular. Great guy. It's a great podcast. I forget his name now. Um, Scott Galloway. If you go to their pages on Coursera, you'd see that these people have hundreds of thousands of students um, where, you know, Professor Stephen Jordans, he has probably about 400,000 students signed up for two of his courses. That's more students than the top five largest universities in all of Canada, right? Um, when you, you consider that, you realize that something profound is happening. And um, I think once those changes come about, I think it will apply pressure to the K-12. K-12 was very creative from K to six, K to seven, K to eight, but by grade nine, um, it really got down to post-secondary preparation. But I think once post-secondary preparation changes, um, we're going to see uh, a, a pretty big explosion of, of ideas and models um, that are gonna create all kinds of interesting value. It's really just about building the bridge from, from now to then. What about the tension um, between those who understand that schools need to change, that, that universities are changing, that, that this is something that we need to move forward, and, and the fear that they have of what that might look like, the dystopian future, the fact that we're going to be, uh, all our data are, are going to be captured by Facebook, which is a tension that has always existed. I mean, the word Luddite comes from breaking machines, um, and, and there's always been a fear and, and a tension. How are we going to navigate through that? I think. Um that's based on a premise. It's based on a couple of premises. So it's based on the fact that Facebook will always hold all the cards. And I don't know that to be true um, because once upon a time, Facebook didn't hold any cards at all. Um, you know, once upon a time here in Canada, there was a great big company when I got into technology transfer and everybody mentioned this company's name off their lips talking about technology, right? Um, RIM, BlackBerry, that was all everybody talked about, right? You know, we wanna build the next BlackBerry, we wanna find the next BlackBerry, we're looking for the next RIM. Um, and, you know, RIM, BlackBerry, the last phone I think was, you know, put to rest last week, right? Um, you know, there's a nice little area where they would make the BlackBerry phones and there's just condos now, right? Um, so, you know, the folks at BlackBerry never saw that WhatsApp and an iPhone would just make them irrelevant. Um, the folks at Blockbuster never imagined that Netflix would wipe them off the face of the planet. Um, you know, I can remember when I went to Peru in 2003, going with a camera with film. Right. And I, I try to even explain this concept to my son. And he he just thinks that he was like, what was wrong? With you guys? Like, why would you why would you only have 26 pictures? Right. Like he, he just he couldn't get his head around it. Right. Um, and this is not that long ago. So I think what we will find happening is value creation is going to start happening with the individual. Um, and channel creation is going to start happening with the individual. Um, and, you know, companies like Facebook and the like are, there are a couple, you know, they're, they're 
probably about 48 months away all the time from their elimination off the planet. Um, and so I don't see them as, when I was growing up, if somebody told me that there was going to be a company bigger than Exxon, I would have laughed. If somebody said there's going to be a phone company bigger than Exxon, I would have laughed. But here we have Apple that's bigger than probably the next 10 companies, all the oil companies included, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, complete regions, right? <laughs> right? Like, so, I mean, when, when you, you know, when you consider that, like, um, I mean, that's a, gosh, like that, and that's not, it's not that long ago, right? Like we're talking 1984 to now, like it's just not that long ago. So to me, I think that assuming that the gatekeeper is always going to be the gatekeeper um, is, is seductive, but it's not true. And considering that things go faster, I think things will change faster. So a lot of people, you know, I, I see them saying, hey, we, we got to change the traditional school. And I think that I think that's a good approach. But I think what you're going to find is a lot of the changes will come from around and through. Um, let me give you an example. We, uh, I grew up in the Caribbean, and we have a, a version of the British system. Um, and so we take three exams, and those exams kind of plot us on our life course, right? So you, you take one when you're really young, and it determines if you go to what we call the prestige school in the Caribbean, um, and then the other schools are not so good. And that kind of determines if you go off at the, to what level of post-secondary. Um, but using, you know, um, using a, a, an asynchronous student success innovation platform, we're able to offer a dual diploma to students in the Caribbean where you have access to global post-secondary education, which you didn't have before. You have culturally relevant um, curriculum, but you also have an Ontario high school diploma, which is, you know, ranked one of the best in the world. Um, and we can do that at a cost that is an order of magnitude cheaper than the nearest private school, giving you all kinds of things that the nearest private school doesn't have. And we're able to spread that across the entire region quite quickly. So, Today, internationally, you know, we, we, we have about 10,000 students or so um, doing that exact same model and more students meet with success because we're able to shift times, we're able to shift how we assess, um, we're able to bring neurotechnology in there, we're able to bring space repetition through AI, we're able to bring, converge so many things to help a student succeed. Um, which it's, it's, it's really difficult to do in, in a physical form. And so you start realizing, well, in those particular regions, the country that I grew up in, I went in in 2016 and said, hey, we, we need to change the education system because it's directly related to all these different ills and people are like, you're right. And then nothing changes. Um, but with this model, we don't have to wait. We just go right to the parents and say, hey, are you interested? And parents say, yeah, no, I'm, we're 100% interested. And so as that starts to happen, right, as that starts to happen, a lot of education systems run the risk of being BlackBerry, Kodak, Blockbuster, 
Um, and I think the next 36 to 48 months is when we're going to see that happen at a really fast pace. Duane, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, how, how do other people get in touch with you? So I, I think the, the the very best way to find me is is probably LinkedIn. Um, if if we're connected on if we're not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out to me, um, Dwayne Matthews, um, and send me a a, a DM. Um, that's probably the best way. Um, yeah, that that probably is the best way. I mean, some people, my social medias are are all on automatic, with the exception of LinkedIn. So I don't spend too much time. Um, consuming in other places. I spend more time producing, but LinkedIn is is probably where I, I love the interaction. I love, uh, you know, speaking with people like yourselves and connecting with people that are really trying to do things. It, it keeps me very inspired um, and, and very optimistic. So that'll probably be the best place. Um, and listen, I, I want to thank you for, you know, inviting me on for the second time. And, and you know, my wife says that I'm I'm introverted and shy, and, and I don't know how to express my thoughts and feelings. But uh, so, no, I, I know it's uh, sometimes I get really passionate about um, about these things, and I'm, I'm very optimistic. Um, I'm radically optimistic about where this is going and, and the number of people that have reached out to engage with me to, to create different models. Um, and so, you know, anybody that's interested in you know, looking at creating some different models, um, you know, please reach out to me and, and connect and I'll try my very best to get back to you at, at some point. Thank you so much. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast in collaboration with Intrepida News. Thank you for listening. Please check out our articles on www.coconut-thinking.design. Again, there are a couple of blogs there on the metaverse and how it will reshape our interconnections with each other, with nature, and certainly allow us to go beyond school. You can also check out our articles on Intrepid Ed News, www.intrepidednews.com. There's many, many articles from great uh, thinkers and educators on the site, so I highly recommend uh, checking in on that. And also, please get in touch with us on www.coconut-thinking.design again, uh, and of course on LinkedIn. We always look forward to your comments. In the meantime, speak to you soon. Bye-bye.